Welcome to the teaser episode for the Reformation Red Pill podcast. I am one of the hosts, Joshua Hames, and this is the co-host of the Reformation Red Pill podcast, my pastor, Brooks Pottiger. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yeah, yourself yeah. a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm Brooks. I'm the pastor of Pilgrim Hill Reformed Fellowship here in Goodlesville, Tennessee, just about 20 minutes north of Nashville, um, married to Laura, my beloved. Um, there's six children under our canopy, uh, all told, and um, yeah, glad to, glad to be here with you. And uh, so my name, as I said, is Joshua Hames. Uh, probably all eight of you guys know me from Twitter. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but for those of you who don't, I am a, uh, I, in my Twitter bio, I have failed church planter. Recently shut down a church plant and moved from Los Angeles, California, out here to Goodlettsville, Tennessee, to join the work with Pastor Brooks here at uh, Pilgrim Hill Reformed Fellowship. And we'll get into some of that. And the reason I mention that is because uh, we didn't plan on doing a teaser episode, right? But all of this Moscow mood, Kevin DeYoung, hot, you know, hot button issue came up, and we decided we wanted to speak to it, comment on it, and give our take. It's not going to be novel, but mm-hmm. it's going to be our experience, yeah. Um, and how the uh, kind of that awesome phrase, thank you, Kevin DeYoung, for for giving us this phrase, the Moscow mood, because yeah. it is kind of perfect. Um, and so we're going to give our take on the Moscow mood and the Kevin DeYoung article and some of the responses that have been that have been floating around. Yeah, and and, and again, I mean, this I feel like at this point it's been pretty thoroughly responded to and thoroughly answered. But pastorally, I I care because we're we're connected to the CREC and, and there's always backsplash um, from um, from these types of things, which is is to be expected. And so my desire is to 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 shepherd our church, our saints. And to um, um, help those who are genuinely trying trying to process this, they appreciate what we're doing or the kind of the world we're a part of. Mm. But this has has put a, a stumbling block, perhaps, uh, in their way, or they are just trying to trying to process it. So, and yeah, and that's kind of how it is for me. Even now, one of the blessings that I've experienced in uh, a lot of you guys have followed my journey. Some of you guys have, but uh, I like I said, I shut down a church plant. And the reason I shut down the church plant, me and the other leaders decided to do that, was largely because of the Moscow mood. Moscow mood. Yeah, we, <laughs> we got Reformation red-pilled, and we began to realize that we were planting a, the kind of church that I didn't want. Yeah. It's funny, I told someone the other day that uh, I've had the blessing of always being able to be a part of a church that I believe in, mm. That I, and that's been a priority for me. I want to be a part of a church family that aligns that I align with theologically, sure. that I align with in their missiological approach and everything like that. It's been a high priority for me. Uh, but the only time since really start, starting to follow Christ that I've not been a part of a church that I believe in mm-hmm. was my own church for the last <laughs> three months of its yeah. existence. And so we shut it down, like I said, beca- kind of because of this Moscow mood. And uh, yeah, and so I wanted to get into a little bit of Oh yeah, what I was saying. I, I love uh, derailed trains and chasing rabbits. But uh, um, what I wanted to get into was the fact that it's such a blessing now that I don't have to be the guy because I shut down the church plant. I can kind of come to my pastor. Yeah. So I read this Kevin DeYoung article, and I don't have to like t- like shepherd all the people that I just read this article, and I don't have fully formed opinions. I don't have to like shepherd a bunch of people from mm. it. I get to come to the professional. Yeah. <laughs> and so I did. I texted uh, or called. I probably called yeah. uh, and said, hey, did you?" I texted and said, hey, did you read the article? I, I just want to talk to you about it. Sure. And so we, and you've been having those conversations this yeah. week. So I wanted to ask you, whenever you first read the article, because mm-hmm. you were ahead of me, I, you had already read it when I texted you, um, mm-hmm. what struck you about it? What, 
when you initially read it, were there elements of it that you were like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. There's some that I reject outright. There's mm-hmm. some that I think that's fair. What what sure. struck you about it as as being a fair critique? Yeah, and I think that this one was um, the most interesting to me as far as the critiques of, of Moscow because I'd been warned about Moscow even before we planted. So this is yeah. not new uh, to, terrain for me, but I, I am so admire um, uh, Kevin DeYoung. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I benefit so much from him. We're going through um, Genesis right now as a church, and um, I've appreciated his Genesis series and, and some of the insights he's had there. Um, and so I, I hold him in, in very high regard. And yeah. so when he has something to say, he he certainly has my attention. And I think the the primary thing I took away from it was one um, surprise, um, surprise at some of the what I I believe were blind spots mm. that he had, um, and I really felt like because um, obviously he felt like it was important and he gave himself to writing a pretty extensive thing. I felt like he just hadn't read enough Doug Wilson. Yeah, um, truly, because it's it's almost like he honed in on five percent of his ministry and then heralded that and, and genuinely th- mm. thought that that was. In, not in toto, but because he does say they've done a lot of other things, right. but that that was the main thrust of what was happening mm. in Moscow, and and that's that's just that's just not the case. Um, yeah, in the article he mentioned, uh, I mean, one of the thrusts, or at least at least one of the comments that he mentioned was, "What are you known for?" Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be the critique. Yeah, you may do this stuff with classical Christian education right, right. and with these books that you've written. But you're known for that serrated edge, yeah, yeah. and you know it's like that's it's almost like that's fair and not fair. Well, he, he, here's he, here's as I've been processing this. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so like the battle for Helm's Deep, mm. like was Aragorn trying to be known for um, swinging a, a sword <laughs> and chopping heads off? No, but a, a battle presented itself, and that's the good. orcs started to that's right <laughs> crest that's right. over. But he would love to be known for also all the lovely things in the culture that he's created, but it just right. so happens that there's orcs coming from every direction. <laughs> That's good. And so, yeah, you you need to <laughs> fight that as mm. well. Um, and so because Wilson is one of the few in, in our time that that is willing to, without any fear of man or fear mm. of, of being, of what he's known for, um, fight the cultural idols um, bare-fisted, yeah, that, that that's going to get the um, uh, attention of of our times. But th- this plea to become a pastor and to really mentor men in your final season of life, mm. why would not just give yourself to that? I-, I just don't think I've ever encountered somebody who more thoroughly speaks pastorally into the nuances of all spheres of life. I mean, he, he has his book, um, I forgot what it's called, but like, Letters to a man struggling with homosexuality. Um, letters to what uh, has he not written on? Uh, truly, and, yeah. and they are so biblically um, balanced. I mean, I, I hate the word balanced. They're they're biblical. They are looking specific issues mm. in the face and dealing pastorally right. with them. Um, and, and and this isn't meant to be like our defense of Doug Wilson or whatever. It, we have greatly benefited sure. from him. We're not trying to be fanboys. I am a little bit though. He and it, it's funny because you say that. Uh, that you know, why not give yourself the Kevin DeYoung bit about him? Not give. Why not give yourself to this mentoring young man? That's what he's done for me. Yeah. It's that exact thing from afar. Yeah. You know, there's so many men who have benefited so greatly. Yeah. In coming to, like he said, kind of a robust masculine faith that you know, in a church that is largely presented only an effeminate mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. here is someone to look to. Yeah. And him, along with a lot of other, a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah and I, I think. 
something else that that came to mind as as I processed that. <clears throat> so, on every road, there's always two ditches, mm. and so are, are there quote unquote dangers with the the Moscow mood? Um, can their specific brand of what they do inflame um, unrighteousness in mm. people? Absolutely, but sometimes the the ditch. Not all ditches are created equal. Some ditches are rumble strips, yeah. and some ditches are cliffs. Mm. And I would say, um, in our time, the the ditch of a cliff that's just a real devastating thing to look out for is a lack of courage, mm -hmm. um, the tyranny of empathy, oh, where yeah. that where, where you think the biggest problem in the world is that a culture that is driven solely by its feelings aren't empathized with enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. the cliff. The cliff, so many are falling off. But then there's the rumble strip of being a brash jackass. Yep. Um, that's, that's right. The, that way of things can, can inflame. But I would say, I said it this way to some in our church, I would say the problem there is with the fire the man brought to the content, not the fuel mm -hmm. of the content itself. And mm. so it, it provoked a sin in there. Mm. Um, that's a rumble strip that we can get back on the road. That's right. But I see people falling off all the time into the cliff of not willing to say anything that could be offensive ever. Well, that's the thing. And I, the illustration I heard recently that I really appreciated was it's the difference between um, bunnies and attack dogs. Mm. Um, you, you can train an attack dog to pull back, yeah. right? Um, but you can't, if you put a bunny into the fight, it's gonna, it's just going to flee. It's just a little fluffy thing. And I think we've got a whole generation of bunnies. And we need attack dogs who have that in them mm -hmm. to be strong, to be vicious, like almost vicious, not vicious, but like, uh, you know, courageous, yeah. uh, be on the attack, be on the aggressive, be able to wield the serrated edge. Um, and, and then we need that ability in them. And then to disciple them through godly wisdom and Absolutely. through uh, to be able to hone that and yeah. be able to use it wisely. Right. Right. To I mean that's that's just mature. So yeah. if, if you're immature, whatever context you're in, that immaturity can either be inflamed and aggravated or it could it can mature yeah. up up into godliness. Yeah. So no matter what camp you are, you're going to be dealing with immature men with immature tendencies yeah. for that specific situation that need to be brought brought back in. Um, but I, I think, too, um, part of my takeaway, because DeYoung talked about his primary concern was of the long-term detrimental spiritual effects of those who start breathing in the Moscow mood mm -hmm. for um, a long time. Um, and so I, uh, I thought what was interesting is how, how much he commended um, Doug's children and how much they love the Lord and, yeah. and how much they love their family. And that's... the. What, that's interesting because that that is so. There's theoretical long-term fruit. That's the concern, mm -hmm. but then there's actual long-term <laughs> fruit. Right. That is choice and lovely and and beautiful. Exactly right. Um, and so that that so for me, having experienced something of of the Moscow mood. I mean, I've I've been out there yeah multiple times. Um, <laughs> to go back to the Lord of the Rings situation. So. Legolas We're going back to is yeah always you can't, can't yeah all yeah. roads leave back to yeah <laughs> there's Legolas at Helm's Deep looks a certain way but then if you actually go to Lothlorien yeah <laughs> is Legolas in Lothlorien I can't remember. anyways he was at one point yeah, yeah no yeah he was yeah he was. yeah um, that's where you're really going to experience who this person is he's not just always shoot, shooting arrows right right <laughs> this is a glorious culture that is so rich and so choice and is not built on 
antagonism. Right. It is it is a positive effort of glorious and beautiful things. And, mm. and so um, I have never experienced <laughs> that that type of atmosphere and mm. that type of air than being out there and, and hearing the singing, watching New St. Andrews performances of, mm. of Bach and Beethoven. Yeah. Um, just just beautiful stuff. And and so um I just thought it was it was unfortunate that De Young, who I admire, felt like he was compelled to put a hurdle up to access to so much of exactly what the church needs right now. That that's exactly it. The, the, and, and to your point about the long-term fruit, it's it is ironic because that is one of the primary reasons, kind of what you're saying. I agree with uh, that. That is one of the primary reasons that I was drawn to the CREC is because with Moscow, you have this. It's like this test case for what a this particular brand, what I'm calling dark roast cal dark roast reformed. Sure. Uh, this particular brand of reformed theology, what it the fruit that it bears out several generations down the road, mm -hmm. right? So Doug and his family and his ilk have been at this for, what, 40 years? Mm -hmm. um, they now His children all are powerhouse kids who have not apostatized, who are doing incredible work for the kingdom, and now his, great, and now his grandchildren are in the same boat, like going to jail for honoring Christ. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, but, and, and for resisting tyranny and that kind of thing. Um, there is now generational fruit that's being born out in mm -hmm. Moscow, and that is why people are well. That, that is part of the Moscow mood. Mm -hmm. Is I saw that when I was planting my church in Los Angeles, I was watching these videos and seeing all these clips and sermons and uh, even little documentaries coming out of Moscow and seeing what they were up to. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was like, I it was like just window shopping when you're broke. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in L.A. and I'm looking. In this little screen here, and seeing this beautiful community, this beautiful, yeah. uh, like you said, this you know uh, community that's rich and robust, and and this church culture that is mm -hmm. just attractive. Yeah, seeing that, and then just wishing, oh, I wish I could be a part of something <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, and there's so many people that are in that boat right now because there's a lot of, I think, I don't know, I think there's a lot of evangelical leaders who are just envious. Who their their church culture isn't like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that necessarily about Kevin DeYoung, but um, there's a lot of evangelical churches that just don't like what's going on out there because yeah, they don't like some of the branding and some of this and that. But really, they don't have that. Mm -hmm. They they haven't created. They weren't able to create that. Their brand of theology has created this kind of shallow Christian culture that doesn't create that. You know, right? And 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 have left the mass majority of men unsatisfied, totally and, and unsatisfied. longing for masculine leaders who will honor and dignify yeah. them as, as men. I mean, right. that's so <clears throat> graciously, I, I was allowed to go to a Presbytery meeting before mm. I was actually... Same. Yeah, <laughs> yeah in the yeah. CREC, and from minute one, I was so oh, yeah. taken aback. Oh, yeah. I, I remember Pastor Yuri Brito, who I had just met for the Power first time, <laughs> when it was time to begin, the way that he commanded the men to rise and sing. Come on. I could just truly feel joyful steel being poured into my spine. Come on now. And what was interesting too, I mean, it it felt just a different, it felt like I was breathing the air of Geneva. Yes. Men who knew what they were about, who were happy warriors, who weren't handling each other with kid gloves all the time. Yeah. And one time, he, even in the Presbytery meeting, there was a um, a, a, a pretty um, 
energized disagreement yeah. and, and debate yeah. that if there were other people in the room probably would have felt uncomfortable about mm. by the way that that this was being handled back and forth. Mm. And me too, <laughs> um, you know, be, being new to the scene and, and just kind of peering over the fence, I was like, okay, did, what's is this okay? What, what's happening here? <laughs> um, and then it was done and we had lunch together. So and it was, oh, this was just men debating like men important mm. issues. So and it had was not personal at all. We weren't having to worry about how did that land on you? How do you feel about that? Mm. It's give your best defense. I'm going to push back as hard as I can, and iron is going to sharpen iron. Was Yuri in that? Oh, uh, yes. In that? Oh, oh yeah. I would hate it. <laughs> the first time you told me about him, and then I, I got to come along. Well, that was the last year's Presbyterian meeting. Yeah, I got yeah. to join you. That was my second one. It, was, it really is incredible. Um, and that's when I got exposed to Yuri Brito, which... You go look at his stuff. He's yeah. done extensive writing, and it's incredible. No, he's, he's such a blessing. He is a powerhouse. Yeah. But, I mean, you described him, and then it's like as soon as he comes in the room, like I had never met him or even I didn't know what he looked like, mm -hmm. but as soon as this man started speaking, I was like, oh, that's the guy Brooks was talking yeah. about. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. he just has a joyful gravitas about <sighs> him. That is the Moscow mood. It, I mean, that's he, right. He is, that's right. He he is a poster boy it, it, in many ways of, word, uh, of that. And, yeah. it, and it is such a um, a beautiful picture of holiness. That's right. And it's funny that you bring up even the the masculinity aspect. In in part of my Reformation red pill journey, I remember going. I was studying masculinity and femininity mostly because I had a kid, and I was like, I need to have a real thorough biblical mm -hmm. understanding of these things so I can pass it on. I don't even know what it means to be a real biblical man. Yeah, I was in the midst of studying all that, and I remember seeing, I, I, I don't know, I think it was just a part of a talk from a grace agenda or something like that, and, uh, and Doug was responding to a question in the audience about masculinity, and then you know, he said, you know, masculinity, it's not about you know, chopping wood and drinking whiskey and doing all these things. It's really about, uh, you know, and then he gives his classic definition of biblical yeah. masculinity, the glad assumption of sacrificial responsibility, responsibility, which that's, he's just so good at condensing yeah. those things down. It really is. Oh, that's it's, incredible. It's been such biblical a Biblical definition just to I, I can just tell you right now, of. my wife is glad that that definition exists. Come on. Because absolutely. Because truly, my people are glad because mm. of that. Amen. Yeah. I, I, so he said, that's what biblical masculinity is all about. And then he said, he tagged on, and uh, the whiskey and the wood chopping, that stuff will come. Right. That, that'll good. come in turn. That's garnish. I mean, yeah. sure. But, he, but I love that he said, and that stuff will come in turn. Sure. And I was like, But we don't oh, start there. That's not the beginning a second. point. Well, what I appreciated about it was he didn't leave it out. Mm -hmm. Everyone else leaves it out right, right. now. Just it, to say, that's John Wayne, that's American exactly right. It has no. nothing to do with your manhood. Right. The using your strength and... Right. You know, enjoying, enjoying a good masculine drink. Yeah. things yeah. like that—that that really has nothing to do with. That's what our modern kind of evangelical effeminate not world. Yeah. it says that has nothing to do with manhood. Right. It doesn't have nothing to do with it. Right, it's not the essential. Right, but uh, when he said it comes later, I was like, oh my gosh, that's right. Mm -hmm. That really is like the more <laughs> because I, you're not able to pick up an axe yet. But once yeah, you can <laughs> no, that's right. You know, and so, but the more I, the more I pursue biblical masculinity, yeah. the more I'm drawn to just masculine. Things. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean, and I, I I appreciated that so much. So not not in like the the caricature or even trying to stare directly at masculinity. You're just becoming more of a godly man. Yeah, and women become more of godly women, oh, and man. then femininity flows from that, and exactly flows out of that. Exactly, exactly. And and so even to bring that around, I well, let's bring that back into the the Kevin DeYoung 
critique sure. of the of the um, the Moscow mood. And what really it seems like, and you know, I think the word effeminate is be, is like a word we throw around a lot now. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it can become, oh, I don't know, it, it's in danger of becoming cliche. But it's also the right word, mm-hmm. you know. And so, the, a lot of people, you know, as this article is circulating, it seems like this kind of tone policing, kind of effeminate way to address this. Especially, what what really frustrated me, and I, I want to get your take on this. I don't know if we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Was starting the article with I, I, you know, I'm going to put this out there, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not I trying don't, to get. In- wrapped into a debate. I'm not trying to get wrapped up into something. Okay, yeah. then don't take a shot. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. That's that that's that was my first thought. And I remember I I didn't respond much online, but I did tweet one response to it which was that um if if Kevin really does want to help. And I I I believe he was sincere, mm-hmm. you know, and and he was addressing what he believes are real concerns with God's people and the yeah. church and I do believe it was coming from a good place. Absolutely. You know. Um but I think what will prove that is if he's willing to further clarify. Mm-hmm. Because uh, after getting the pushback and the responses, right. what really would serve God's people and serve the people who are, oh, I don't know which way to go. I, I see your point, Kevin, but then you know they make a good point over here. Mm-hmm. What would actually help is to find common ground yeah. and to find out where the actual points of disagreement are. Right. And if if he's not willing to do that, I put it, I, I put this article from assumption of good faith to assumption of bad faith. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. I think my assumption right now is good faith, mm-hmm. um, but it that will require further mm-hmm. qualification. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I clarity. I don't think I, I, I'd be willing to say that he did it in in bad faith. That's um, a better way to say it. But uh-huh. I, the the fact that he is on the council of the Gospel Coalition, mm-hmm. and I would I I almost said I know Kevin DeYoung. I don't know Kevin DeYoung. But he has an Issachar instinct. He he does understand the times. I yes. I know he does. But you're not. I haven't seen any. I would say. So I remember a plaque at the church I used to be at um, in Pasadena, um, and the pastor had it above. The lead pastor had it above his desk, and it said, "Shoot the wolf that is closest to the sled." Mm. Shoot the wolf that is closest to the sled. What wolf is closest to the evangelical sled? And for for Kevin to to think that the Moscow mood is more of the wolf, more of the danger to the church right now than some of what the Gospel Coalition is struggling with and has devolved into, that's hard for me to believe that he really thinks that. And and so I I would love to see him him engage it. And something that in Wilson's um, rejoinder he brought up, which has been one of the (laughs) frustrations for for, for someone who who wants... um, there to be more bridges built is people are so concerned with specific words that they compile and put into one paragraph to have a <gasps> effect, but they don't deal with the arguments. That's right. And there's argument after argument after argument with text after text after text, mm-hmm. and you don't see hardly any in any interaction mm. other than that strikes me the wrong way. Yeah, um, that's right. Well, and and they make the lucid point. Well, but but the gospel coalition commends all kinds of movies that have F-words and right. GDs. So it's not that we really care about those words. That There are places they can be. It's just in, in this context when it's actually trying to condemn a sin, mm. we don't agree with it. Yeah. Now, again, that, that's a debate that, that could be had. I'm, I'm not just saying, okay, and I just wrap that up there. No, but there are real scriptural arguments right. 
brought to bear. Well, that brings me to whenever I initially read it, I was I was disappointed by that initial, I don't want to get into a thing. Okay, well, then don't take the shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I, I respect Kevin. And, and having having uh, Kevin DeYoung and and Doug Wilson feel, uh, debating like this is, feels like uh, mom and dad fighting while I'm in my, <laughs> my bed covers. Like, guys, just come on. Just work it out. I don't, you know? Uh, but, uh, but I, so I was disappointed about that. But, you know, there, there were points when I was reading where because I respect Kevin, mm-hmm. um, and I can kind of trust that I do trust that he's coming from a great from yeah. a from a good faith um, place with us. Uh, that the, the when he started, I, I believe he has a genuine pastoral concern. Yes, that's right. I really do. That, that's right. Um, and uh, so the part that stood out to me the most, I think, was whenever he put all the naughty words in a just a little sentence in a mm-hmm. paragraph, and then kind of saying, why talk like this? Mm-hmm. You know, because I've, and even me, as someone who has kind of studied extensively, I would say, into Doug's arguments for the serrated edge, and am, and I am convinced by them. But it, even still, seeing all those placed in a row mm-hmm. struck me as like, man, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe it is a little too far. Yeah. You know, maybe that wasn't wise, you know, yeah. because... And then I started finding myself because you say things like that, and then people can pile them together in a thing mm-hmm. like this. And so I, I remember kind of remaining agnostic about what I thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your thoughts whenever you read that, uh, like all the yeah. words there? Yeah, well, I I think anytime you sift through a decade of stuff and handpick certain things, you can have a pretty compelling narrative when things are, are, are compiled. But that I don't think that's the way we... we analyze those type of things wisely. Right. I don't think the there's moral I don't think individual words mm-hmm. have are morally charged necessarily. I think context matters. I think intent matters. Um again this is a well-worn argument but in the Bible there are are many sh- shocking words that would be quote unquote unbecoming ministers of the gospel. Right. Um Christ you know called the Pharisees um, whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just go read in Ezekiel, um, it will be pretty shocking <laughs> if you revisit. Yeah, there's some sex sexually charged, oh, I mean, that, that naughty would, language. Yeah, then that is perverse, disgusting, horrifying, mm-hmm. and that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, um, I, we were talking about the the big C word incident. Me and my buddy Alec, and he said, "What's true is he used a shocking, terrible word to describe a shocking, terrible reality." Mm. Um, and that's why those words exist and why they actually, the, he said, it's, it's funny, the C word, it's, that's culturally dependent. If, if you go to um, England, England, it, it wouldn't be a big deal. But the yeah. reason it's such a nuclear bomb is because it actually, Marvel of Marvel still actually carries some moral or carries some weight and some freight in our yeah. country because we don't use it all that often. Right. And it Man. was such a horrifying thing. Okay. We choose this off the tool shelf and um, or off the table. Mm. And so I... Yeah, he wasn't just reckless with his words. No, it, he it, wrote it very intentionally. Right. Now, yeah. you, you, I'm not saying everybody has to read it or like it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm saying there can be a biblical... There is a biblical moral defense mm. for that um, mm. that I find compelling. I, I don't think Kevin DeYoung has to find it compelling, um, but I think to trot that out to try to then discredit so much. Um, again, and he had other arguments. I, I don't want to straw man 
his his article, but I see that happen time and time again. But he said the C word. Well, did you read the article? Mm. Um, and are you as outraged at that sin as he is mm. or not? Um, um, Chesterton says, nine times out of ten, it is the coarse word that condemns an evil and the refined word that excuses it. Mm. And I think that encapsulates our evangelical way of engaging, um, this desire for respectability and winsomeness um, that actually lets evil off the hook time and time again. And then you have some coarse language that really is taking dead aim at an idol that it hates and it wants to destroy, Mm. and then that gets lambasted as ungodly when we're letting idols off the hook all the time Mm. over here, even though we use the language of idolatry a lot. Right. It's not actually going after the idol. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I and what's what I thought, what came to my mind as soon as Doug responded to those claims, you know, to the uh, the critique of his use of language was uh, was Proverbs uh, eighteen seventeen that one man seems right until another comes and examines him, and that's just that's got to be the back and forth, and that's where that's where we can see progress. Is if they because imagine. If they just sat down in a room mm-hmm. and just instead of waiting days and weeks back and forth, back and forth, and just said, "Hey, actually, here is where we disagree." Hey, Kevin, if if someone wrote uh, Ezekiel twenty three twenty that she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of a donkey, whose emissions was like that of a horse, yeah. if someone wrote something like that yeah. with that metaphor, right, talking about a specific person or a specific and group that of people, you are like you as a people group are like a whore. Yeah. Who, you know. I mean, that's that's one of God's favorites. He uses that all the time. Yeah. So, what would you think about that? And do you ever use language like that? Mm-hmm. Cuz that's that seems to be the issue is that um and I think uh was it you who said that uh your wife said something like, "Can he just say that he doesn't like him?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, and it's like that's okay, you don't like that. You don't like this kind of thing. You don't have to like it. Right. And that's one thing I really appreciated about that sit down that Doug had with John Piper, I don't know how many years ago. Mm-hmm. But I remember when I was going through this phase and studying this stuff, the serrated edge and all the rest, um, I saw that talk, and it was so encouraging because I could tell at first Piper was just, he didn't want to agree. Like, he liked Doug. You can tell they're friends. Sure, sure. But he, he wanted almost, you could tell it's like he wanted to, like, why, you don't have to do it like this, you mm-hmm. know? And then, but then by the end of the conversation, I, even Piper was agreeing. He was saying, okay, I cannot say this is unbiblical. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't say that. Well, and and that's where I, I think. Guess where I'm going? <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> and we're back. We're we're. It's a fellowship. Yeah. There's the um, mm-hmm. elves. There's the hobbits. Yeah. There's the um, um, uh, dwarfs. I mean, it's it's <laughs> each person brings their peculiar glory that to 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 the broader project. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I I just. I think if we read a lot more of the reformers, we wouldn't find it so glaringly, yeah. um, because they. What was the name of um, John Knox's um, treatise that he wrote against Queen Mary? Oh my uh, goodness! The trumpet blast against the abominable reign of women, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's, but um, that's right. He just did not care about being respectable. This was a massive issue in his time, and he's going to go after that orc as intensely as he can, not because. Um, going to Chesterton again, 
not because he hates what's in front of him, but because he loves what's, what's behind him. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, I love that. That's uh, so good. The, the, the first blast of the trumpet against the monstrous regiment of women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... that's um, but I mean, read, read Calvin, read uh, yeah. Luther. Now Luther yeah. did get unhinged a couple of times. Um, yeah, that's but true. Um, the, these were men who who were just not concerned with being respectable. That they mm. were part of a reformation. There were orcs all around them, and they were um, courageously doing war against yeah. the dark arts. Yeah, and that's um, not a tidy, pretty thing. Often, mm. um, it, it requires specific tools and, and specific specific. Um, artillery. That's good. Um, I think one of the dangers, um, potentially, again, the ditch, is um, a young, proud man who who comes and then um, is uh, intrigued by the satire, um, but has not has ten years of maturing that he needs to do before he writes any blog, yeah. and then starts trying to write like a Wilson or like a John mm-hmm. Knox or whatever when he hasn't even reformed his own world yet. Yeah, yeah. And yet he's calling out everybody else, and and so. Sure, but that means he needs to be discipled and, and matured right. because that's his ditch, not that that type of writing is bad or that type of way is bad. So. Yeah, that's I think that's something that I'm seeing too. And one thing I appreciate about even guys who have been influenced by Moscow, the Moscow mood, I'm thinking of Michael Foster, who uh, he, he is he a lot of people get mad at him even on the right because he just he, he is he punches right a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've I've come to really appreciate that because he's he's engaging in the kind of straight talk, the pastoral. He's really pastoring men mm-hmm. well, but then he's saying like, I don't care how you view me. I'm not doing this for your likes. I'm not do- doing this for your approval. Even this crowd of people that are following me because I'm saying the edgy thing, the edgy true thing. Yeah, but I'm also going to critique you when you're getting out of line. Mm-hmm. And I think there, and I think that's how the Moscow mood can um, can and will be beneficial long-term is when godly men who are influenced by the Moscow mood mm-hmm. um, are... And, and, and who aren't embarrassed to to sing loud and joyfully in their house during family worship. That's exactly. Or at yep. church. And so their kids grow up looking at this man who loves Christ, is um, courageous even in worship, and mm. it just downstream, it, it's 10,000 blessings because he's not... He has become... Humble enough to to not care, just to worship robustly. Absolutely, and to, yeah. And there and there's a big problem. So there is, you know, I would say to bring some legitimacy to the claim that Kevin makes, there is going to be like what you just said. There are going to be those men who are attracted by the sharpness and the satire because mm-hmm. their sinful hearts want an excuse to be a jackass. Mm-hmm. That's what they want, right? Um, and I've encountered those online for sure. These people who, um, especially in the Twitter sphere or the X sphere now, um, that they are there. They want to claim Christ, and they don't want any. They don't want to display any form of humility, any form of gentleness, mm-hmm. any form, any of that, because that's all effeminate. That's all. And it really, there is definitely a ditch that's forming Absolutely. on. On both sides, or on on that side, yeah. and I, for the Moscow mood to be beneficial, we need and Doug does it too. Doug and Foster and you know all these guys c- calling out Police the sins ranks. of that yeah. exactly policing the, our own ranks and saying yeah that's not a part of it. Like I even me I remember just really over the last few weeks I've seen some really gross behavior from people who claim to be in our camp and even like actual racism which I didn't even know like 
I hadn't seen really, mm-hmm. but now I'm like, oh, like I had a guy mm-hmm. who's kind of in our uh, theological sphere. He's a black guy. He's married to a white girl, and he's sending me all these posts from people who are claiming this whole world, Christian nationalism, all the mm-hmm. rest that kind of comes with the Moscow mood, a lot of it. And it was just vile, yeah. like gross kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it and it reminded me, okay, yeah, let's be um, let's be diligent to police those ranks so that there's no legitimacy to Kevin's claim. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And and that, but I what I appreciate is Doug and Foster, all these guys, they do that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if right, Kevin and, and you can't be held accountable for for every person who reads no one, one of your books, and, right? Um, yeah, but you have to be willing to call them out. And oh my. Goodness, I mean, they are uh, again being being at the CRC Council and being a part of these conversations. Mm. They go out of their way yeah. to 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 do that to call people. Even out. getting flack for it, they're saying, "Oh, you're going soft and this yeah. and that." And but no, there really is a middle way, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you know, to to go back to Keller, um, the third way. No, but there really is. I mean, that goes back to Aristotle: the mean between excess and deficiency. There's always kind of like we mm-hmm. said, ditches on both sides, and, right. and finding the and we say the middle way. It's the biblical way. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, so so there's that ditch, and it's ugly, vile, needs to be condemned, and yes. they need to repent. Right. But there's the other ditch of um, men who are so careful, yeah, that they're of offending anybody at any time that they're not willing to engage in anything at all anymore. Well, which is the bigger ditch right now? Right. And I would say a thousand to one. Mm-hmm. It's it's the other way. Yeah, and and I think that gets into, and we we've touched on this briefly of that what you said, the Issachar instinct, knowing what time it is. I just think there are so many evangelical leaders who just don't know what mm-hmm. time it is, and mm-hmm. you know, I would have put, I would have thought, I would have put Kevin DeYoung in the in the category of leaders who probably know what time it is. It's it's like. This is a huge glaring blind spot. Mm-hmm. You know everything that you mentioned about him, kind of supporting TGC and you know being on the on the board over there. He's on the board, right? Yeah, I, th- I think they call it the the council or the board or the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and not not being able to see the mm, spinelessness, the mm-hmm. squishiness, the uh, not n- the the fact that the need of the hour really is a s- robust mm-hmm. spine. Masculinity, yeah. you know that that kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, I'm good. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, and, and one of the needs of the hour as well is is to build bridges with faithful Christians who are pulling in the same direction. Yes, you, know, you think of that scene from Braveheart, the mm. unite the clans, where right. you have Robert the Bruce and then um, William Wallace, and William pleading with them to unite us. And what <laughs> was I think one of the big takeaways yeah. too from that article is to to point the finger and say that Moscow, they're the ones who won't link arms with others. I mean, that's. That's truly shocking. Shocking. Because I've even ex- personally been warned about people in the camp, just so you know, by having the wrong friends now, you will be isolated from people. So you just, not to, we, we want you in, but uh, count the cost. Um, Man. And I I know that the arm is extended, the hand is extended in every direction. Mm. Um, and so I would love, I would love for um, Kevin DeYoung to say, hey, don't, don't love their style, but Faithful brothers, yeah. let's have more conversations, not less. Yes, um, and let's be let's pull in the same direction together on purpose, mm-hmm. um, regardless of the flack that he'd take, right, um, or the flack that Doug would take. Yeah, we, we need that. And so, well, let's finish up our time by I, I want us to talk about how the Moscow mood, and we've touched on it throughout mm-hmm. the conversation, but how the Moscow mood 
has personally impacted yeah. us in our journey, your journey coming into the CREC, becoming a CREC pastor, mm-hmm. and my journey into the CREC as well. And so I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you. How has, as right, Kevin gives this term, gives us this, you know, T-ball, mm. boom, mm-hmm. out for of a term, yeah. the Moscow mood, yeah. and then and then which gives Doug and Toby and you know, uh, what, all these guys mm-hmm. an opportunity to, to define it on their terms, mm-hmm. and they and they have successfully. How has the Moscow mood, as you've seen it, mm. impacted you in your journey into the CRC as a CRC pastor? Yeah, um, I think it has filled out my understanding of what holiness is and, mm-hmm. and what sanctification is and, and how that manifests even specifically as a man, mm-hmm. and then how it, it manifests now in, in my wife as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's helped to give greater dimension to the peculiar glories of masculinity and, and, and femininity. And I think even just very specifically, um, I, I agree with Luther that center to the reformation in the church is the reformation of music. Mm-hmm. And so the absolute blessing that they've been to, to my family and to, into my church, um, by the content they've created to, to help us so teach us how to sing and to recover a um, glorious hymnody and and to do that self-consciously. We, yep. are, we are singing to the king each Sunday. Mm. Um, there are things that, that are more fitting than others, yeah. and this is how you do that. Um, and so I think really teaching men to sing like men loudly, I yeah. think that has such a formative impact, not just on the man itself. I mean, it, it is a glorious thing when men sing together, yeah. um, which is a lost art. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but it's not... In, in, in America, yeah. you know, I, was, I, was, I remember when I went to uh, Britain, when I yeah. went to England, and we, I was in London at a, and seeing at the pub, yeah. them, like, the, the soccer goal, watching foot, football, um, watching soccer, we're yeah. right, it's soccer. <laughs> um, and, you know, the goal gets scored, and then they literally erupt in singing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, what? Why have we... I remember just being so jealous. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we have that. I mean, go to a... a um, I was at um, the Tennessee Volunteers football game a couple weeks ago, and um, Rocky Top, every time they scored, that comes up, and it's this unifying mm. um, reality of, of, of singing, worshiping <laughs> yeah. together, as it were. I mean, that's... Um, I remember a buddy of mine, we um, were um, having... Um, breakfast dinner for him at an Irish pub and I told the guys when a beer when the beers come out let's mm. sing bless the man that fears Jehovah yeah and so we just all broke out in it let's when go. when it came and the rest of the restaurant got silent um in the part that we were at mm. and then afterwards everybody just started applauding so good and it's it's man that that is um a beautiful fruit of the Moscow mood. We are Christians. Mm. We are a rejoicing people, and we know how to do it well, and we want to grow. Out in the in coffee that. shop, in the restaurants, yeah. in the pub, all you know, yeah. always. That's just so... Oh, that's so beautiful. There's a... That reminds me, there was a... Shane Gillis, I think it was the comedian who talked about seeing the English do that, and he's like, he's like, I remember just being so jealous. I was like, I was like, out- outwardly, I'm an American, so I had to be like, that's gay. Yeah. <laughs> but inward, I'm like, I wish I could so do cool. that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, I think one other thing, too, is it's helped simplify life in general so much. And I say that specifically coming from more of a therapeutic background mm. and getting a master's in ca- um, pastoral counseling. Yeah, yeah. Um, from which you're a, still recovering from. Yeah, truly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that makes all human issues seem so complicated. And rather than, what does the word of God say? Mm. 
and obedience to Christ is what's required and repentance when you don't is what's required mm. and forgiveness really is constantly offered and Christ is more gracious than you can imagine so you don't have to wallow in your shame be repent again right now and let's let's get after it but does that work if you're not an enneagram 3 yes it does <laughs> it absolutely <laughs> does it turns out i remember i don't know if it was uh, jay adams birthday or death date or something but oh. i saw a post on one of those days that said um in honor of him um, and then there was a man who came along and said the Bible's sufficient. Come on. And um, Come on. I have so just seen the the blessing of that, even in raising toddlers, and now I have, you know, five and and three and, and a one-year-old, um, just calling them to to something higher. Yeah. Um, disciplining according to the according to the word of God. Yeah. Um, and that the fruit of that is just I'm so thankful mm. um for that. And I would say, <laughs> even with that, one of the really lovely fruits of Moscow that I've been discipled in is constant gratitude for the yeah. goodness of the Lord. Yeah. Um, and that is something that is just front and center to the air you breathe, is mm. constant gratitude um, for um, for God's goodness in all things, whether mm. it's a you know a potluck dinner, whether it's That's a glorious so scripture, um, whatever it is, right. everything. And um, so they've, they've helped to, to cultivate that. Um, well, e- even, even getting back to the music thing, that, it's funny because that is a, hindrance for some people coming mm. this way. Yeah. And for me, I was, you know, it would have been a hindrance for me, I think, if I hadn't experienced it. Mm-hmm. Because when I went to that initial presbytery meeting back in California, whenever I was invited, we were trying to figure out if we were going to shut down the church and all the rest. And they invited us to come. We were we were wanting to join a denomination, and we loved the CREC based on everything we were seeing come out of Moscow and all all that stuff. And so we go visit, and I remember getting to the church. They had this incredible meal prepared for us, uh, for everyone, for the churches uh, who came for the for the meeting. It was a three-day meeting, kicked off with this big, beautiful meal at the church. And so we go, we sit down, and they said, before we eat, we're going to sing a song, and they, pa- they sing some music, and they uh, pass out bulletins. And I remember thinking to myself, "What well, are we going to do? Worship? Where's the guitar? Where's the <laughs> where's where's the projector screen? Right. You know?" And they, "Oh, we're singing. All right, we're going to sing Psalm 127." Okay, Psalm 120. Never done that before. Okay, here we go. And the guy gets on the piano, hits the hits the note, and then I that hear, "Let Israel now sing in thankfulness." Something like yeah, that. I, I remember being like, "How do I? I couldn't even keep up with. I didn't know how to sing it. It was difficult. But I, 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 it's like I, I'm looking, I'm listening." And I look up, and and it's like power emanating, like glory. just glory. Yeah, it's I'm gl- telling you, it's and glorious. just the voices all mixing yep. and mingling, and seeing little kids just running around singing all the words because yeah. they know them by heart. And I remember in that moment being like, "This is it." Right. This I don't is, know what this is, but whatever it is, it's it. <laughs> th- yeah, th- this is it. And I, like like I mentioned in the, we'll see, get to in future podcast episodes. That was kind of the nail in the coffin yeah. for my church because I realized this is not the kind of culture yeah. that I've been trained. To create, I mean, they they're introducing a whole new generation to a robust form of worship that isn't, you know, the Jesus is my boyfriend mm-hmm. worship songs that are everywhere. It's it's. I was wondering whenever I was whenever I moved here how my wife would respond mm. to this, and I moved out with a couple other families, yeah. and how they would. I mean, this is a big change. <laughs> you know, we were you know cajon and guitar. Yeah. Kind of worship setting, the, the kind of the hippie, the hippie worship setting, and then we come, and after two to three months, all the people that moved out with me, 
and my wife included, she moved with me as well, graciously. Um, we were all saying, I couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't go back. When I go to another church to visit, I just feel this kind of, okay, yeah, yeah all right, I'm, I'm here for well, it. It's, it's interesting because, um, speaking of Moscow mood, one of the people who have helped inform that so much for me is his name's Aaron Snell. He's mm. a, a music teacher at Lagos out there, and, and he leads the music for the downtown campus. And um, him and his wife has just, just become friends of me and my wife. They're just incredibly gracious, welcomed us into their home last time for a meal. And, um, and he um, was saying how he used to do, I mean, he was a worship leader in a traditional, well, traditional contemporary setting. Mm-hmm. And he came out here to teach at Lagos and started um, um, obviously attending church there. And he said, even for the first year, he, he had taught choral music mm. at a school for 15 years. And even he didn't like singing out of the Cantus for probably the first year. Wow. Um, that's how long even him in the worship setting it took for somebody who's trained in that mm. to actually take to it. And now he said he, he can, cannot not fathom yeah. going back. And um, I found that to be true. It's it's um, initially daunting. Yeah. That's why we do music training every month. Right. Um, but man. Yeah, we literally have choir practice for the whole church. Right. And, 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 and that... So that our grandchildren don't have to. No, that's... And, and, it's, <laughs> and realizing, I think that's something that has impacted me so deeply, and it's that one huge problem that has been addressed and all kind of Christian uh, leaders have addressed it in different writings and sermons is the problem in the American church is a huge problem with consumerism, and that we can we treat church like a product to go consume. We have the Christian professionals offering up their spiritual goods and services that we come and I like this teaching and now oh, the worship and da, 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 and it becomes it becomes a product and for then us we to, rate based on our subjective response. That's exactly it. right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so, and I I remember. I mean, this has been something I've that's been addressed in the evangelical world for the last like, several decades. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I didn't I couldn't figure out what's the solution though. You know, and then. Honestly, what I've come to, what I've become convicted of, is that one of the one major component, one foundational piece to the solution is liturgy. Mm-hmm. It's liturgy. It's it's understanding what's happening on Sundays isn't primarily a thing that I go consume mm-hmm. to go get my feel my feel goods. It's a thing. It's an it's something I go participate in. It's a thing that I do. Worship is yeah. a thing that I go do, a work that I take part in. Yeah. And learning that from you and from Pilgrim Hill, that has changed my Sunday, my Lord's Day worship. Yeah. Because now I see it as, instead of how does the music sound and how, is this really something I can worship to and do I feel the goosebumps and all the rest, yeah. it becomes, this is the word liturgy like like you the work tell of the us, people. means the work of the people it's a thing that i go do and the the peep god's people gather together and offer up praise and yeah. worship yeah. and that is the that's what recharges us yeah is worshiping together yeah, yeah. and and it, it forces you to get outside of your individualistic thinking but yes. but liturgy puts you now as the body of christ that's primarily what we are presenting mm. ourselves to not just individually me and jesus but the body of christ has presented herself because she's been called by her that's lord right. to to worship the the lord together as a people so we speak with one mm. voice we sing with one voice and that is a part of the moscow mood that is i mean invaluable because yeah. there are people who just ne- i would have you know, 
five years ago, I could not have imagined being at this church <laughs> doing what I do. Yeah. I couldn't have imagined it. But now I can't imagine doing anything mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So let's let's finish up with any any final thoughts on how the Moscow mode has personally impacted you or uh yeah, any any final thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I mean I I think um one other thing is it's um the 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 whole atmosphere of the body of Christ is not that we are first and foremost victims that that need empathy for, from Jesus, but but that we're in Christ we are we are victors, mm. which which should expect victory in mm. Christ, um, victory against sin, um, victory in in our marriage, um, hope for our children, expectation of covenant faithfulness from God for our children, mm. um, and so it it really builds um, a stout heart uh, mm. in, in 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 people, and I'm again. Thankful. Um, don't be uh, scared away. I'm not saying you need to go to Canon Plus and buy every single thing they they have. I mean, get get what's helpful. Um, but it, it is a. Um, I've breathed the air. It's a beautiful thing. I thank mm. God for it. And mm. um, yeah. Well, uh, one thing I one little bit of the conversation I want to finish up with is there are this there are so many people right now over the last even the last few weeks on Twitter I've had. Many, many men reach out to me mm. and say, you know, they've taken this Reformation red pill, they've begun their journey, um, and a lot of guys are very discontent. They've seen, or what we get to in future episodes, they've seen the tumors mm. in the modern evangelical church that have kind of that were revealed in 2020, and they're discontent. They don't know what to do. They're window shopping like I was, uh, and they... They're getting that Moscow mood through this computer screen or mm -hmm. through their phones. Mm -hmm. And just pastorally, yeah. how would you uh, advise those people, those guys who are growing restless in their churches? They, you know, they don't want to be a nuisance to their mm -hmm. pastors, but they're kind of like uh, they're having some issues mm -hmm. where they're seeing some cultural Marxism slip seep in. They're seeing kind of this spineless squishiness. Yeah. They're trying to address it, but not be you know, divisive. Mm -hmm. How would you advise some of those guys? Yeah, well, I, I I would first say what what you just said. Don't don't be divisive and 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 know your inclination um, towards that. It's, it's likely that your church hasn't changed, but you, but you're changing. Right. <laughs> um, and so, I think ha have humble conversations with your pastor, not with gotcha questions, and serve the best you can. Um, I, I think be um, be the most enthusiastic, robust worshiper. Um, at uh, at church on Lord's Day, do not be very careful of bringing your judge's scorecard to church every week That's and good. just being really good. more and more frustrated. But if you do find yourself ultimately frustrated because of convictional things that are shaping the culture of your family, mm. um, I would say it, it is worth um, considering finding a place that's worn in, al in alignment with, with what you think yeah. faithfulness looks like. Yeah. But... <clears throat> Do that with your pastor. Um, yes, humbly yeah. ask for his advice, ask for his suggestions, and even let the elders be be part of that process, really so good. that you leave with a mutual benediction mm -hmm. over each other if you need to leave. But it, it could just be that that also your um, pastor is still trying to process the last yeah. couple of years, which have been bewildering in right. in a lot of ways, and you may be able to to be an encouragement to him. But then I even there I I get um. Careful in saying that because oftentimes men can take on the role of de facto elder who needs to tell all the elders how things are done. And that's, I'm going to convert my pastor yeah, to my and, new and way so of don't, thinking. Don't do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th I become absolutely convinced that there's nothing more important for a Christian than than worship. 
mm-hmm. and it's a, the head of home's responsibility to to make sure his his family is a, a worshiping people and are in a mm-hmm. context that is conforming them to the word of God and, yeah. and to what our understanding of what the word requires is. And, mm. and so that matters. That, that really matters. does. Um, but that's a great pastoral charge for, for a lot of these guys. And um, yeah, so thanks Brooks for uh, pastor Brooks for coming out and uh, co-hosting our teaser episode of <laughs> yeah, the Reformation sure. Red Pill podcast. Well, to you, dear viewer, um, all, all eight or nine of you, no, I'm just kidding. This is going to be big. <laughs> this is going to be real big. I can feel it. I wouldn't I have worn my quail hunting coat if I knew it. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, it's going, this is, I mean, we're hitting tens of tens. tens. Of, there will be yeah, tens of be tens of tens. tens. Um, to you out there, dear viewer, my charge for you is that you would go and build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and do it with a happy heart as a joyful warrior. God bless. Amen.